Well, I think what we looked at last night in Exodus 3 in the being of God is probably the most conceptually difficult things we're going to talk about. Let's see if I can get this to come up just a little bit. Um, so it's hopefully downhill from here, although we're not going to forget everything that we looked and considered about God last night, that he is incomprehensible, he is independent or say of himself, aseity. He's irreducible or simple, and he's eminent in the fullness of his being. What I want to look at this morning in Psalm 119, and if you have a copy of God's Word, if you would turn with me to Psalm 119, we'll look at the Beth stanza in verse 9 to 16. We want to consider why you want to be happy. I'm going to take for granted that everyone in here wants to be happy. We're going to look at why. So if you turn to Psalm 119, and let me begin reading in verse 9. I'm going to read verses 9 to 16, the Beth stanza. Psalm 119, verse 9, it is written, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again and ask for his help to consider it. Our Father, as we gather again this morning in your creation, we pray for your help to know your word as you have spoken to us and revealed your glories to us in it. We pray that in tired minds and still awakening um, comprehension, you would break forth in your beauty and glory and pure blessedness, that we would know you as the fullness of joy and the fountain of of everlasting hope. We pray, our Father, you would be with all who hear and the one who speaks, that you would be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we probably all recognize that images that a century ago would have scandalized the general public are now used to sell hamburgers. Uh, It's difficult to go shopping. We rarely, almost never take our children to the mall. Um, Even just using public transport or driving by billboards now, you cannot do that without being assaulted by immoral, impure, and disrespectful um, images and our pornified culture being thrust before our sight. How do we keep our way pure when we live in an impure world? How do we not just flee immorality, but how do we live in holy love in our society? And as with everything, it all begins with God and how we see Him. In this stanza, the best stanza, the second stanza of this acrostic, Psalm 119, is probably not unfamiliar to many of us if you've been reading God's Word for any length of time. The burden is set out in the opening question of verse 9, how might a young man purify or make clean his way? Is purity possible is essentially the question. Now, usually the answer we know and we will give in this portion of God's word is verse 11, that we would 
store up His Word in our hearts that we wouldn't sin against Him. So, how do we stay pure? We, we study, we learn, we even memorize God's Word, and we remember it, and so that we stay away from the impurity of the world. And that is so true. But it's not the whole story here. Glance up to verse 2 of this, of this psalm where it begins, and notice a clear parallel. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, God's Word, who seek Him with their whole heart. You have a clear parallel set out that seeking God is parallel to seeking His Word. And we have the same thing in verse 10 of our stanza. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. You cannot separate God from His Word. The Word of God and the God of the Word cannot be separated because God comes to us by Word. That was made clear to Israel at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai, when they returned and God gave the law. And Moses reminded them in Deuteronomy 4.12, The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. God comes to us by His Word. God reveals Himself to the eyes of our heart through our ears. And God makes Himself known by speaking. I mean, how could it be anything other? Remember as we looked at Exodus 3 last night, and we didn't cover this, but earlier in that chapter, we remember that Moses was encountered the presence of God through a burning bush. A bush that was burning that wasn't being consumed. A flame of fire that can't be grasped, that can't be touched or contained or controlled. God is inaccessible and incomprehensible to human comprehension and sight. You can think also of the fire that led Israel through the Exodus by night and the the cloud that led by day. Clouds and fire cannot be held, contained, controlled, or hemmed in. When Moses later in Exodus asked to see God's glory, God replied, You cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. What you see, you comprehend. We can't see infinite spirit. We can't comprehend it. So we can't see God. You cannot comprehend the infinite, independent, irreducible God who is God as He is in Himself cannot be accessed by men. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 6.16. He says, God dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. But there's a voice. There's a word. We cannot access God, but God can condescend to us and speak to us and reveal Himself to us, and act among us. God comes by His Word, so we know God according to His Word. And so that must mean, as we, verse 9 here, guard our way according to His Word, it must mean something of knowing the God who speaks by Word. And that deepens for us at the center of this stanza in verse 12. In Hebrew thinking, you put the emphasis of an argument in the middle. It's not like us or even like New Testament writers where they'll say the main point and they'll argue from it like a stair step. In Hebrew thought, you put your emphasis in the middle. And the emphasis here is in verse 12, Blessed are you, 
O Lord. Yahweh's blessedness. Purity begins according to God's word by what we look at. Our vision of God's blessedness. And what we have here is we understand ascribing blessedness to God. The whole rest of this stanza and the whole idea of living by the word of God will unfold for us, I trust, with great beauty. And what we want to see here in God's word is that a happy life of purity begins with a vision of the perfectly happy God. Lives of purity begin with a vision of the perfectly blessed God. I want to meditate with you on the profundity of just this statement in verse 12 for a while, and then we're going to see how the whole rest of the stanza unfolds around it. We want to look at the worship, the wonder, and the word of our blessed God. Our worship, wonder, and word of our blessed God. And we start every point with the same letter so that we know it's biblical. That's why we do that. Let's consider first the worship of the blessed God. Worship of the blessed God. Now, considering God blessed and ascribing that to him is common in the Old Testament. For example, when, Israel, when David led Israel in prayer in 1 Chronicles 29.10, he prayed, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Worship begins by adoring the God who is blessed forever. Blessed is a state of happiness, of joy. So for God to be blessed means he's perfectly, perpetually, eternally happy in himself. Now, when we say that, we don't want to assume or push back onto God our creaturely human understanding of happiness as an emotion. Because our happiness as creatures always depends on conditions. And our happiness fluctuates with our physical state. We're happy when our blood sugar is up and our team wins. But we, and we see this even here in this psalm. Look at, again, verse 1 of Psalm 119. Notice when it's speaking of men, the Bible says, Blessed are those whose. And then it gives a condition. Because that's the way human happiness is. It's re- related to our condition. Blessed are those whose way who's blameless. The whole Psalter starts this way in Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not, according to the counsel of the wicked. We are dependent creatures. So you and I need things outside of us to be happy within us. That's how we're made. But God, who is the independent, irreducible creator, is blessed, period. He is eternally happy in himself apart from, before, and beyond anything else that exists in creation. God is happy, period. Eternally blessed. God is blessed in himself without conditions, without any need of addition, and without any threat of subtraction. Consider what David said in Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. To be in God's presence is to be present where joy is full and absolute. The fullness of joy. He is the perfect source of every good and of every pleasure. To be near God is to be near joy. 
And so God is praised in Scripture as the source of all joy, as the eternally joyful one, the eternally happy God. God's blessedness, His perfect happiness is rooted in the fact that He's God. So in in other words, if you were to ask God, what is it like to be God? He would say, happy, joyful, blessed. He's blessed to know he is free from any evil and he is full of every good in him. And that's how we could define divine blessedness. And an old friend, a Puritan, Edward Lay from the 17th century, he described God's blessedness like this. He said, God's happiness is the attribute where God has all fullness of delight and contentment in himself. And he needs nothing outside himself to make him happy. God has every good in himself. He needs nothing outside himself for joy, which means he has no evil or imperfection. As the Bible says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So he is fully happy. God is the perfect good with infinite delight in his own being and in himself. God delights in being God. And so in a very real real way, Christian, our worship is joining God in his delight in himself. That is what worship of the blessed God is. It is joining the happiness of heaven, which is the happiness of God. Now let's go a step further now and consider how we might wonder at our blessed God and think a level deeper. How do we wonder of our blessed God. And you can think of God's blessedness really as a consequence of all the other attributes we would say of God and even what we looked at yesterday evening. It's, if you will, a summary perfection of God. John Gill said that the attributes of God center on God's blessedness. They terminate there. That is, when you've said all that you need to say about God, what do you conclude? He's blessed. He's joyful. He's happy. Let's consider some of God's perfections and why they mean He's blessed. We considered last night that God is self-sufficient and independent. You remember the attribute, aseity, like the acai berry, super fruit, super attribute? So God's blessed. I mean, think about how much of our sorrow comes from our dependence and need. All of creation, including you, you and I, we need others to be happy. We need provision to be content. We need others to encourage us, to bring us happiness. But God has no needs, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Before anything was, God was happy. He was blessed. Consider God's infinitude. God is infinite. He is free of any and every limitation. That means He's eternal that he transcends time and the succession of change. He's immense or omnipresent. That is, he has no spatial limitations or boundaries. He's spirit, so he's perfectly present in every point in space with the fullness of his being. He's blessed. Even in our happiest moments, what do we know? It's a moment. You're at camp this weekend, but it will end. We... Our happiness, how often are we unhappy because something is just out of what? Reach. Or if I could just get that, or if I could just be there. Our limitations lead to our unhappiness. 
But God's blessedness is from everlasting to everlasting. It endures forever. In fact, it never began. God never began being happy. God never began doing anything. He is. And God's blessedness can't cease any more than He could cease to exist. God's infinitude is also in knowledge. He's omniscient. That means God knows any and all potential and everything that will actually happen. And He fully knows everything eternal. That means He fully knows Himself. The only one with full comprehension of God is God. He declares the end from the beginning because everything is before Him. But you and I, we get disturbed because we forget. We make decisions based on ignorance. We are anxious because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after that. We don't even know ourselves fully. We learn stuff about ourselves. We're not even fully aware of every blessing we have in Christ. We have to learn that. But God perfectly knows everything, including His own perfections, so He's perfectly happy. And God is immutable. That means unchanging. He's a perfect internal spirit. It's impossible for Him to change. There's no way for Him to improve and get better. And He has no threat of growing worse. He has no need to change, to improve or grow. He has no potential to fulfill. He's perfect and fully eternal forever. But what do we say? We say youth is wasted on who? The youth. Because when you're young, you have energy and health, but no wisdom. So you do dumb things really fast. And when you're old, you have wisdom, but less energy. And so you think and and sit and think about all that you would have done and should have done when you had more energy. What is a child's sorrow? I can't wait to be older. And an adult's sorrow is, how did I get so old? (laughs) We have potential that remains unfulfilled. We have regrets of what we have done and shouldn't have done. How can I change is one of the most pressing questions on every person for their entire life. How can I be different? God has never thought that. He never changes, never has reason for change, can never change. God is blessed and happy, period. God is also what we call impassable, without passions. How much of our happiness is stolen because our moods shift? Our emotions are subject to our blood sugar levels and our circumstances. There even our emotions can be inconsistent with our circumstances. Do you ever feel a certain way and you don't know why? I feel sad, but I should be happy. I don't know. But God has infinite complacency in enjoying himself. With infinite fullness, God is content in himself always. And God has all power. That means He's capable of doing any and every good consistent with His perfect will. He is blessed to do all that He wills. We are hurt because how often do we run into things and say, I can't do anything about that. God never thinks that. Never. God's holiness means He's perfectly happy. 
sin distorts and disturbs us. We live in regret of the evil we've done and fighting the evil desires within us. Even moments of peace are often ruined, aren't they, by that internal war of temptation. God never experiences that. His holiness is His happiness. And no evil, no wrong, no regret ever darkens God's joy. God is so, verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. He's blessed. Now with many of these mind-stretching concepts, all we're doing, beloved, is explaining why God is blessed and why there's hope for you to be blessed too. Why is God's blessedness good news? Let me ask another question. What about when you're decidedly not blessed? What about when you're depressed? Is it good news when you're depressed to know that God is happy? What about in our world of horror and suffering that we are all too familiar with? How does it help us to know that God is infinitely content in himself. You know, some have said, especially since the last century after World War II, some in the theological world have suggested that doctrines like these that we're looking at need to be ditched because it makes God uncaring in our world of pain and sorrow. But what that really is, is viewing things from the wrong angle, a more what we might call a therapeutic one. It's assuming that if we make God more creaturely, we'll have more hope, but it actually removes hope. What we need from other men and other women, what we need from one another, is to share in our pain, because what else can our friends do? They can sympathize with us, and they can console us. But you and I, brothers and sisters, we don't want that from God. We want Him to not share in our grief like a man, We want God to be able to fix it like a God and to hold out hope to us in the midst of it, even from his presence. Listen, here's the reality. If God is not every perfection that we've considered, then he's not blessed. And if the creator and the eternal source of everything is not infinitely joy in himself, then joy and happiness don't exist. They're not real. And this is as good as it gets. You've arrived. There is no happiness or hope or joy coming because it doesn't exist in the universe. Theologian Fred Sanders said it like this, if God's not happy, nobody's happy. If God's not the fountain of blessedness, then God does not have blessedness to give us or to bring about. It is because our God is infinite, immutable, impassable, simple, holy, sovereign, and triune, and blessed, that, beloved, we can know that joy is real. And the longing of your heart to be happy is not a foolish aspiration. It's not a consequence of random material events or some evolutionary process. 
Our desire to be happy, friends, is an echo from the garden when the blessed God made us to know joy in Him. Or Augustine said in the 4th century, with the true God and in Him alone and from Him alone, the human soul is blessed. God is the cause, the source, and the fountain of all happiness in creation. And that means He is the promise of us to be happy forever. God's love and joy in Himself is expanded for us in the revelation of the New Testament that God is triune. This is why we sing hymns like, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God's eternal joy in Himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. John Owen said it like this, The blessedness of God is the ineffable, mutual, in-being of the three holy persons in the same nature, the Father and the Son in eternal love of the Spirit. And God's blessedness in Himself abounded to create and brought about the covenant of works, putting in Adam and Eve in the garden, that they would gain a blessedness of life forever in Him. But instead, we know the story. Our parents rebelled and they rejected blessedness with God. And so we've been cursed with grief and sorrow. It is because humanity refused happiness in God that we've been unhappy ever since. Sin and sorrow have sown curse within us. As Scripture says in Romans 1.25, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. But God sent His Son to deal with our sin and misery and to bring us back to joy in Him. In fact, Scripture in 1 Timothy 1.11 calls the gospel, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The gospel unfolds the glory of God as the eternally blessed one, and His eternal blessedness has been poured out on His children in Jesus Christ. Consider this, beloved, God the Son took on humanity, God who only knew blessedness took on humanity to become a man, Isaiah says, of sorrow, so that we would know joy. The one blessed forever became cursed for us, because cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And he did so, so that our sorrow wouldn't be eternal, but it would have an end, and that there would be the hope of fullness of joy and happiness forever. In salvation, God gives us the greatest blessing possible, Himself. He brings us back to Him, and we return to commune with the fountain of joy and the source of all happiness in God. Now what we do by faith is we behold God as He speaks to us in His Word. And we're beginning our journey back to Him as we continue in faith until faith and hearing become sight and seeing And we come to what we call the beatific vision. And we see the glory of our blessed God in the face of our risen Savior forever. And we are never sad again. And we are only happy for all eternity in God. Beloved, this is why we exist. To wonder and worship at our perfectly blessed God. And this brings us thirdly to why our Bibles are such a treasure. Let's think about the word of our blessed God. 
as we consider of all that we have to say about God's happiness and joy in himself, in view of God's blessedness, what would you say? What about the second half of verse 12? Teach me your statutes. In view of the blessedness and holy happiness of God, what else would you say? Show me how to be happy. I want to be happy with you. You see, beloved, holiness according to the word of God and happiness are not in competition. God has called us to himself to know us, know him in his word, that we would know how to be happy. With such eternally blessed, joyful God, we say, I want to know you in your word. I want to know how to have joy in you. And I want to be conformed to the word of God because of the revelation of the God who is blessed forever. And with this motivation, this we understand the commitment to purity here in Scripture. In verses 9 to 11, I want to be pure because I want to know joy and happiness and contentment in God. So, I ask God how to seek Him. Verse 10, don't let me wander from your commandments because purity is the path to joy and sin is a path to sorrow. As the Bible says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. And I don't want to be sad. I want to be happy in God. And so teach me your statutes. Help me to know your word. And so your word, verse 11, your word I store up in my heart. You could translate that Hebrew word treasured. I treasure your word because it is the word of the eternally happy God who's teaching me the path of joy. So I treasure that word that I might not sin against him. Because when I sin, I not only mar his blessedness, but I also strip blessedness and happiness from myself. Sin, a commitment to self, is a commitment to sorrow. The devil is a liar. He is leading people to sadness and pain and sorrow. And God sets forth boundaries and laws and commands in his word that we would know the paths of joy. That we would know happiness. And purity is pursuing this. And the assumption here though is it's always a threat of remaining sin. Notice the assumption of verse 10 is that wandering is always possible. In verse 11, sin is always possible. So I'm actively treasuring the word of God. I'm seeking God. And as I learn more about him, verse 13, what's the overflow of my life? As I learn more about the happiness of God and his word, verse 13, I tell others. I declare all the rules of your mouth with my lips because it's a source of happiness. What do you do when you find something you're excited about? You tell your friends. I found the key to happiness and it's in God and in his word. And so with my lips, I declare your testimonies. I delight in them more than riches, verse 14, more than gold. Beloved, do you think we need to learn this in our culture more? That when we as Christians talk about the things our culture has gone gravely astray on, that we don't just do it in a stern and angry way, but we remind our friends and our family and our community Friend, we found the path of contentment and happiness and it's in the God who is. And it is in His Word. Come have joy. Come have happiness. The world, the flesh, and the devil are lying to you. You will not find fulfillment there. There is no happiness at the end of that road of doing what you will. But we find it here in our God. 
We flee immorality. We pursue purity because we want joy. And we want joy in Him. God is no robber. He's a giver. And He is a, the blessed God who gives joy and rest and contentment in His ways and in Him. And so in our delight, in verse 15, we meditate on His precepts. And that word for meditation means mutter. It means to chew over like a cow chooses cud. You're repeating the Word of God to yourself as you're verbalizing and communing with God. And you treasure His Word because it's the words that come from the mouth of the God who's infinitely happy. And He speaks it forth to us. We commune with the blessed God by His Word to grow in paths of purity and joy in Him. A conversation I have regularly is, Pastor, I'm struggling with fill-in-the-blank sin. What, what do I need to do about it? How can I be pure? And invariably, I will begin and say, well, let's talk about your commitment to worship. Let's talk about your attending the means of grace when the church worships. Let's talk about your private worship and your, your, contempt, your contemplation of God and your meditation of His Word. But, whoa, whoa, is a response. Pastor, I have this, this problem. How do I deal with this? I, I, I know, I know, I know, is what I say. But the problem is, beloved, is our wanderings are not disconnected from our worship. In fact, they're t- entirely intertwined. And the sins that bother you the most are not just matters of your actions. They're actually deeply rooted in your contemplation of God and His joy and blessedness and your happiness and hope in Him. Purity of life is not just a matter of what you avert your eyes from. It's what you fix your eyes on. And what fills your contemplations and your thoughts and your meditations. Is it God? Or is it something else? And this psalm, this section ends in verse 16 that we will not forget His Word. Why? Because we delight in His statutes. Do you ever forget about being happy? Of course you don't. You're more committed to that than almost anything else. And yet our happiness is found in God and His Word. And we won't forget His Word when we know it is the source of our eternal joy and our happiness in Him. When Jonathan Edwards was young, he wrestled with the sovereignty of God and His supremacy. But he read about God's majesty in Scripture, and he later recorded this in his diary. He said this, I thought to myself, how excellent a being that was, and how happy I should be if I might enjoy God and be wrapped up to Him in heaven and be, as it were, swallowed up in Him forever. Of course, the good news of the Gospel, friends, is how happy we will be when we are caught up with Him in heaven. And how happy we will be now if we will know Him and treasure Him as He comes to us in His Word. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You are the eternal giver. You are the source of all joy and happiness. And you have created us to be passionately zealous for our joy, to find it in you. And we pray that we would find happiness and hope in you. 
We pray especially this morning for those of us who have may come to this camp discouraged, even maybe depressed. We pray the hope of your eternal blessedness would be broadcast on each and every heart by your Spirit. And we pray the reality that hope and eternal joy is found in you would garrison our hearts against every temptation. And we pray that we would long all the more for your Son to come quickly, that when we are caught up with you, we will be happy forever and shed never again a single tear. We praise you, our God, for your eternal joy and for bringing us to yourself in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.